some point in the semi-near future, we should do our, I guess, biannual, which can either mean twice a year or every two years, uh, announcement on the show that there is more of the podcast after the song. Because I still occasionally, <laughs> I still occasionally, you know, wake up in the middle of the night and think, I wonder how many people stop listening when the song plays. It haunts me a little bit. Done. That's our pre-show. <laughs> That doesn't count as the announcement. I need to like explain at length. Yes, it does. No, I well, I mean, fine. You can put that in. That's fine. But I'm like, I want to explain at length. Like, the song plays and then the show continues. And I know it's confusing, but that's just what we do. Yes, we have an after show. It's after the theme song. Listen to it. The end. But I, it, we need to. It needs to be explained. In, How in much more does it need? <laughs> this does not need to be. It does not need to be belabored. You think it does need to be? But, but trust me. Like here's here's you if, you, us, if you if you were more uh, pro, uh you know invasive instead of respecting people's privacy we could know exactly when they stop listening on overcast anyway but no you don't want to collect any data about anybody just ask the mid-roll they probably know <laughs> Ooh, sick burn sick burn so it's been a big week huge week you could say because john syracuse you have your new file system on your phone assuming you've upgraded so how about them apples I did upgrade. I upgraded my device and everybody's device. Uh, I was very excited to do it. It's a little less, a bit less exciting than having it on your Mac because there's really no way, as far as I've been able to determine, to tell that you have APFS on your iOS device short of, you know, digging around with some dev tool or whatever. One of the things that I heard people mentioning to try, which makes sense to me, is, you know, in uh, settings, general, like, storage usage or managed storage like somewhere you keep going down to the thing that tells you how much room is being taken up on your ios device by various applications and their files you know that screen Mm -hmm. well that screen in the old world had to crawl through each application's you know little directory of stuff and add up the size of everything and it would take a while to load you'd see it like load some of the things then you'd wait and there'd be a little spinner and some more applications would appear and if you you know if you looked at it uh quickly you'd think oh the thing that's most using the most storage is whatever's on the top but just wait two seconds another app will come then another app um and i timed it on uh, of course I, my, my old iphone 6 and it was like 20 something seconds now i haven't upgraded that old iphone 6 to apfs yet but in theory because one of the features that APFS has is what they call fast directory sizing, where the file system keeps track of the size of the, of the stuff that's under a directory in real time all the time, rather than having to crawl over it and calculate it when you ask for it. In theory, that screen oh, wow, that shows you how, how big everything is should be a lot faster. Because I didn't think to do this until I had upgraded almost every device in the house, I don't actually have numbers on it. But I can tell you that on my iPhone 7 that I did upgrade, it is two to three times as fast as it is on the iphone 6 that i didn't upgrade but anyway when i eventually went upgrade the iphone 6 i'll get timings um but that's the first thing i could think of to say like how how will this manifest in a way that you can notice the the other way all right now hold on hold on so just to be clear that's settings general this is in 10.3 storage and icloud usage and then manage storage and you'll see used and available and then uh, you'll see all the stuff kind of populate all in one shot. Eh, no, it's actually more than one shot, but it's pretty darn yeah, it quick. Do, it does. It, it's not instant, which is what you would think it would be, which makes you think maybe it's not actually faster because like so many things after OS upgrades, uh, there are a lot of sort of false indicators. If you, you know, any any OS upgrade, Mac upgrade, phone upgrade, just, even just rebooting makes many things faster subjectively and objectively. So it's very difficult to tell. The other item that's not 
in the in the, the notes here, but that has come up a lot is like, wow, I upgraded to 10.3 and suddenly I have more free space on my phone. Is that a tribute to APFS? Maybe because of maybe like volume bitmap sizes and, and file system metadata, but that's a stretch. Most likely my theory is that it cleans out, you know, just rebooting and cleaning out cache files as part of the upgrade process free space free space, because you know how iOS caches a bunch of crap in places that aren't really attributable to any particular application. Like, I don't know. I would there, there's nothing specific in APFS unless they're doing a lot of uh, copy on write cloning of, of duplicate files, which I don't think they are as part of the upgrade process. I can't imagine getting back some huge percentage of disk space. But I don't know. I haven't, I haven't heard a convincing explanation that. But certainly, it's possible that merely by rebooting or doing the OS upgrading, cleaning out temporary directories, you could free up a lot of extra space. Um, some people have reported that the total capacity is reported differently, and that could be the case as well. But there's a million things that could cause that. But anyway, I would say fast directory sizing, assuming it's even being used by that storage management screen, could be way, a way that you can tell this is happening. But even if there is actually no way for you to tell that you've upgraded the file system, you can get warm fuzzies inside knowing that <laughs> a better file system is there under the covers and then erase those warm fuzzies with a giant eraser that says data integrity is still not being checked. So good luck. <laughs> I mean, for what wow. it's worth, ATP Tipster in the chat has said that uh, if you have a 64-bit device and you're running iOS 10.3, you're running APFS. Yeah, that's the story, is you don't have a choice. You get it whether you want it or not. Hmm. Oh, and uh, one more item on APFS, the thing that's actually in here. Uh, David Reed wrote in to say that someone in an Arabic-speaking country was using his application on iOS 10.3 public beta, and they couldn't open their files until renaming them to English after upgrading from iOS 10.2 to 10.3. This gets back to what we talked about at the end of the last show, that APFS does not normalize uh, the uh, character encoding of file names. And I thought, as I said in the last show, well, that's a bummer if you're using raw access to the file system through the BSD layer. But surely if you're using Cocoa or UIKit or whatever, you know, some high-level framework, that you don't have to worry about this because it will do all that for you on the way down to the file system and on the way back up. But apparently that's not the case because I'm assuming David Reed is not using direct BSD APIs to do file I.O. Um, if you have an application that is not careful with character encoding when writing out file names it could be that previously it worked fine because you would say give me the file called cafe with an e with an accent over it and doesn't really matter how you encoded that in unicode because the file system when searching for the file with that file name would take what you entered no matter how you did it normalize it that's what unicode normalization is is take a representation and encode it in just one way even though you can write that same word seven different ways pick one way to do it there's a whole bunch of different normalizations defined by Unicode, but Apple's HFS Plus uses a weird variant of one of them. And then when you compare to the list of files in the directory in the file system, just say, well, everything in the directory uh, on the file system is normalized, and the string that I'm comparing with I just normalized, and so I'll compare them to each other, and when I get a match, I find your file. If, on the other hand, the file system like APFS doesn't do any normalization, uh, I would assume that the file names in the file system uh, are, that are pre-existing from like you converted to 10.2 to 10.3, those are normalized according to the HFS normalization. But maybe when you look for that file name and you send in your file, it is not normalized in the same way and it will search the, the directory for a file with that name and never find an exact match and say, there's no file by that name, file not found. And so that's why renaming the file to English would you know get it into you know ASCII or something that isn't encodable in multiple different ways in the normal case would let you find the file so i don't know if this is an isolated uh, case or we're going to see more of this but 
Uh, you know, this this apparently is the conscious choice that Apple has made out of, as evidenced by that uh, radar that they closed that's saying, yep, this is the way APFS works. That's not the way HFS works. This is the future. Uh, everyone get used to it. So uh, one other thing to add, and uh, I think Gruber had made mention of this on uh, Daring Fireball, but I think it's worth noting that it is absolutely bananas to me that millions upon millions upon millions of iOS devices have been upgraded, and I have not heard a single horror story of somebody's data getting lost, of some catastrophic thing happening. I'm sure it did happen. I'm sure there's someone listening to this show that might have had it happen to them. But in terms of the circles I typically travel in, I have yet to hear anyone's horror stories. And that is unbelievably impressive. And even if there are a handful of horror stories, there's been so few that given the magnitude of the change that was made, it is preposterous to me that it has gone as well as it has. It shouldn't be preposterous, though, because on a past episode, like this is not to denigrate the the work, the file system and the up. And I would say also like the upgrade team, whoever does the upgrader, like did they did good work. But this is how this is how things work in in technical circles and in programming. Um, Much much like Marco's uh, favorite hobby horse. It doesn't really matter how hard you try on something that you don't get. There's no points for effort. Um, Staying really late and trying really hard and being a good person and all those things don't help. Uh, what makes you avoid or makes you have a program that is successful uh, and that works correctly is uh, is design is like, you know, what what is the structure of this thing? So as, as we discussed on past shows, the way this file system and many modern file systems works for uh, that allows it to do this conversion is that it doesn't move any of the data. It leaves everything exactly where it is and it doesn't modify the file system at all. It just writes a new set of metadata pointing to all the existing data. And it can do that at its leisure at any point if that process fails or, you know, something. It doesn't matter. It has not done anything destructive to the file system. Only after it has done a complete accounting with complete new metadata pointing to the other data that's sitting there at rest, not being moved, not being modified in any way, does it do one quick, small, critical section that says, and switcheroo, use this instead of that. (laughs) And that tiny, like, that's design as opposed to saying, I'm going to convert this by, you know, doing like a you know the slide puzzles where there's like a little open space and you, like yeah. one, one one little tile is not there so you have to slide the tiles around into the constantly in the open space it could convert your file system piecemeal like that saying i'm going to use this free space to start writing a new file system i'm going to copy all the data piece at a time into that new thing for pretty much that entire process your file system is hosed if anything fails at any point you have like a complete unbootable garbage system uh, and no matter how hard you try like, oh, I'm a really good programmer. I'm going to make that process really foolproof. You can't because the design is bad. The reason this works flawlessly, the only way you can ever get something like this to work as, as you know, as successfully as it has is with a design that allows you to do that. So, and this is another one of the advantages of modern file systems. You couldn't do this with the conversion from HFS to HFS plus. There were utilities to do it and they were terrifying, right? Um, <laughs> it's, it's good design up front. And also on top of that, also a good execution of that design obviously so there's you know all credit where credit is due but uh, i found that in my experience uh, as a programmer for low these many years <laughs> no matter how no matter how much effort and what a good job you do in execution if your initial design has doesn't have certain properties that you need there's really not much you can do whereas if you have a good design and you have one or two bugs it's easy to shake them out and 
to be, you know, like it's, it's like when you when you design something that comes out better than you thought it did, and it solves even more problems than you thought it would, and it has fewer bugs than you thought because it's just a good design. And it's just a matter of like mechanically making that design successful. It is so much less painful than when you you know do your best effort to implement something that is ultimately a flawed design or that, that you're asking it to do something that it wasn't meant to do. So so kudos to the file system team for coming up with a file system that has this property in its design that it can do this, and then also by the way, successfully doing it. Yeah, it's just, it's really impressive. And, um, and you know, I, I've heard rumors a couple of years ago, right around New Year's, about how their software software reliability really had gone down the crapper. And uh, this is a positive step in the other direction. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I really am very impressed with the rollout of APFS. Like, if you would have asked us back when it was announced this past summer, like, what devices do we think will have it first? I forget whether we actually did speculate on this or not, but we would have almost certainly said they would have been the most careful and would have taken the longest to put it on the iPhone because they have the most iPhones. It's the most high-profile device, right? Uh, the fact that they deployed on 100% of iPhones with the, well, you know, 100% of 64-bit iPhones with this newest update first as like the first deployment of this file system is incredibly impressive, very bold. And uh, and the fact that, as you said, that there was really seemingly no problems with it it's incredibly cool uh you know even though john says it's easy uh ish you know i know asterisk asterisk but you know i recognize that <laughs> it's not easy it's just the design allows it to happen sure like you know what i mean like, that was the important part of the decision not you know you know what i mean like with this design you that's why i feel like they can be emboldened to do this because if they had a different design no matter how careful they were it could be that the, the, the correct move would have been we can never upgrade people in place. The only way we roll this out is by people buying new phones because we have no way to safely convert. That would have had to be the decision if you didn't have a system like this because it would be crazy to say, well, we're going to start these 50-minute upgrades and if anything goes wrong at any point, people's phones are bricked. And they, and by the way, they lose all their data because we've just basically scrambled it into soup. If that was the choice, you would have to say, there is no conversion. You will get APFS when you buy a new iPhone. That's it. Yeah, and, and the fact that, that they were able to do this and that they just did it kind of silently in this point update it wasn't even like a major os update uh that's that's pretty cool uh, and it, it it does make a lot of sense on a phone in the sense that like as we mentioned when the, when this was first announced like on a phone the entire software ecosystem around phones is meant for you to ideally if, as long as you participate in the various cloud services and backup services that ideally your phone can get flushed down a toilet at any moment and you can go buy a new phone and log in and have everything just you know restore to it so in that sense it is kind of a lower risk than the way most people's macs are set up but still deploying it to their largest device family and highest profile device family where like if anything went wrong it would have been massive headline news uh that was a bold move and they did it they did it well so kudos to them yeah the yeah. other the countervailing forces of course why would they even bother doing it on the Mac? Because they care so much more about the iPhone. So it's like <laughs> how much you care about the product and, and want to invest in it versus the incredible danger, as you said, of like if you make a mistake on the iPhone, it's a big deal. And I, I don't know if the 10.3 beta was longer than normal, but I think having wider, more public betas for longer periods of time is another another factor in making them feel okay in going forward with this again, even with the good design, just to make sure that you know you do have everything worked out. Because Because this doesn't move any of the data... Like this, the conversion in effect does kind of an equivalent of the HFS plus FSCK because it has to go find where all the data is again, kind of like when you run disk first aid and it finds out like, you know, some, some metadata is wrong because there's some space on your disk that it thought was occupied, but it's actually free or something and it updates its metadata. 
it has to crawl over every little bit of data and find out where all of it is. So maybe that also is performed as part of the conversion. But uh, still, if there are mistakes somewhere on your on your uh, on your disk, essentially, not that you have a disk in there, this is not going to fix them. It's going to preserve them, and they're going still going to be there. So if, so you, if you have some sort of problem, it's in theory, even though they're not modifying the data, it could you know, uh, upon rebooting or doing something else because of the difference in the way APFS works, it could reveal a, pre- a pre-existing HFS plus problem. I have no idea if phones ever run FSDK or how they deal with that, but considering they have run uh, HFS plus for so long, those same errors that we all find when we run disk utility on our Macs surely are there on our, on our phones as well. <laughs> and nothing about this conversion process is uh, is going to help them along. Oh, goodness. All right. Anything else on APFS? I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, this is this is your crowning moment, my friend. This and Swift. I want it on my Mac. I'm just a Mac guy. I'm just a Mac guy mm-hmm. at heart. Like, it's cool mm-hmm. that it's on the phone, but, you know, like, on the Mac, because like, well, you, can, you can feel the coolness more on the Mac. On the Mac, in theory, if the Finder implements the, like, instant copy thing, you can take, like, a, you know, 20 gig file and duplicate it and see that it, it happens in a fraction of a second and your disk space doesn't go down. You don't get the kind of experience on a phone. Come on. Ay, ay, ay. All right. Uh, Tom Jones writes in. That's not the singer, right? Uh, he writes in, I heard John extolling the virtues of, of being able to just say to the air, how many teaspoons are there in a cup? And his Amazon Echo would answer the question, and Thomas provided the answer, which is 48. While there's no doubt that this is a great thing to be able to do, you can also do that with the iPhone, something he would certainly know if he had said, uh, what was it, um, Ahoy Telephone, in a, or if he had had an Ahoy Telephone enabled for more than a couple of weeks. I put this in here because we talked about it in the last show, but apparently it didn't emphasize it enough. Like, what is the difference between, you know, setting aside how well the services do when they understand you? What is the difference between hasty versus having a cylinder in your house that listens to you? Um, oh, did I do it again? See, it's you not did. on my phone, so no problem here. Um, <laughs> the big difference, the big difference is that cylinders do not move. Like, you plug them in to the wall, and they're in a particular place. Uh, and that also on top of that cylinders in my experience have better microphones. Maybe it's because they're stationary. Maybe it's because they're upright. Maybe it's because they just have more mics. I think the Amazon echo has many mics in it. Yeah. Um, and what that means is the experience of talking to the air, uh, two things. One, it's going to be more successful because the thing doesn't move and it has more mics. So it's always going to be in the same proximity so you can get a feel for when and how can I say this and how loud do I have to speak to be heard and everything because it's not variable. And two, the most important thing that I mentioned when I was talking about talking to cylinders is getting over the idea, like getting yourself to instinctively understand that something is listening, understanding that you can talk to the air. Because if you have to think about it first, hmm, maybe I should ask this to the air. Oh, is the thing in the air nearby or listening to me? Like getting over that so it becomes unconscious and so you just expect it to be there. Uh, to do that, you have to you have to know, you have to you have to not have to think about is the cylinder near? Where is it? And with my phone, my phone is all over the house, right? My phone could be upstairs, downstairs, in a different room or whatever. The cylinders don't move. And that lets me eventually become comfortable when I'm, say, in the kitchen, which is always a fixed distance from where my cylinder is, knowing that I can rely on the thing being there. Whereas I have, I don't have to think about where is my phone, right? Or is my phone face down or face up or in a case or buried underneath someone's hat on, a, on an end table so it can't hear me or anything like that. 
And so setting aside, again, what it does when it hears you and the, the variability of how good these devices are at this. I think uh, Gruber just posted a thing about uh, CarPlay versus Android Auto in which Siri did not come out looking particularly good and not because it couldn't understand people because that is another fixed distance from microphone thing. But the, you would think this is a minor thing, but the cylinders being stationary and having better mics is what makes the experience get over the hump for me anyway from being... Maybe I could occasionally talk to my telephone if it happens to be nearby versus 100% when I'm in my kitchen, I can shout out a, uh, uh, you know, a thing to set a timer and it will just be set and it will hear me the first time and it will always work and I don't have to think about where anything else I own is. We are sponsored this week by Backblaze, unlimited native online backup for Mac and PC. For a free trial, visit backblaze.com slash ATP. I love backblaze because here's the thing i love online backup the concept of online backup is amazing because there are so many hazards that could happen to your computer that could that could lose your data and even if you have say a time machine drive or you know a local disk clone of some sort that is good you should probably have it and backblaze even says you should have that as well because it's fast to restore from those and they can be very convenient but you also need online backup because there are lots of hazards that can happen to your computer that would also affect any backup drive that's connected to it or that's in the same house or apartment or business as the computer. So things like fires, floods, theft, malware, there are so many risks that can happen. And online backup protects from so many of those. It's such great peace of mind to just have it always be running. It's automatic. It's always there backing up your files safe and sound. You don't have to remember to do anything. You don't have to wait till you're at home or wait till the computer's asleep or whatever else. It's just always running, always keeping you safe. Backblaze is, in my opinion, and I've tried many of them, Backblaze is the best one of these. They can't pay me to say that. I'm telling you that because I believe it. It is my favorite one. It's the one I use, the one I trust my family's data to and all my business data to because Backblaze is great. You have unlimited space. You just pay per computer. Five bucks a month for unlimited space per computer. My wife has a computer. I have a computer, so we pay them 10 bucks a month. I think we have like six or seven terabytes in there. We have some obscene amount of storage in there because it's unlimited. You just pay per computer, and it backs up anything connected to that computer. It's wonderful. And they have great features like a mobile app, so you can restore files right onto your phone or, or tablet, iOS and Android. Uh, so if you like want to get a file off your home computer, or if you're traveling or whatever else, you can get it through Backblaze. Uh, they also have very easy restores. You can go online for restores. You can also have a hard drive overrunner to you via FedEx. And if you send it back within 30 days, you get a refund. It's, they have such great options. Their client is amazing, fully native code, not, nothing with Java or anything like that. It's fully native code, and it's fast, and it does not choke when you have tons and tons of files like I do. Uh, I love Backblaze. I suggest you check it out. Go to backblaze.com slash ATP for a 15-day trial. No credit card required, no risk, a totally free 15-day trial. Backblaze.com slash ATP. Unlimited native online backup. Thank you very much to Backblaze for sponsoring our show. Tell me, John, about the even naked-er robotic core. I hesitated to put this in here because it's another Apple patent thing, and it doesn't involve patent hands, which is the main thing I enjoy patents for. Um, <laughs> Apple patents everything, and every time someone comes out with an Apple, uh, an Apple patent is published, the sites post it and say, look at this thing that Apple patented. And at least at this point, most sites don't say, maybe this is coming soon. They just say, look, Apple patents everything. But um, I think this one... It just goes to show all ideas are on the table when it comes to patenting things. This is 
you can see it from the little picture here. It's like a laptop, uh, but imagine that where the trackpad is, someone someone took a router and routed out the trackpad. You can't even do this on modern laptops because they're too thin, but routed out the trackpad to the thickness and shape of a phone, and instead of the trackpad, dropped an iPhone into there. And the idea is this would like be like giving your iPhone a bigger screen and a physical keyboard, and then the iPhone would merely become a glass trackpad for the whole rest of the device. So it's sort of turning your phone into a laptop in an even more bizarre way than turning your iPad into a laptop. Um, and in some respects, this doesn't strike me as entirely ridiculous. The reason this is related to Naked Robotic Core, it's like, look, we'll give you the little skinny computing core, and whatever you want to put around it is fine. If you want to put a 13-inch screen and a physical keyboard around it, sure, go for it, because the iPhone is plenty fast. And the, the current top-of-the-line iPhone, I believe, is currently faster than the MacBook, right? In, in single-threaded, anyway. Probably in certain things, uh, yeah. It's RAM-starved compared to the MacBook, but... Uh, only, it's got half, I guess. Does, does the MacBook have uh, the MacBook One have four gigs? Uh, it has uh, eight. All right. Well, so it's still RAM star. But anyway, this idea that eventually phones will become powerful enough to do basic computing tasks, and you can just carry that phone around with you, and if you ever want a laptop, all you would do is snap your little naked robotic core phone into a laptop top shaped thing, and then sit down and and you know do a bunch of writing or bang out some email or do web browsing on a larger screen and then when you're done yank your phone out of the little router channel and snapshot the 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 now lifeless corpse of a laptop <laughs> that's probably a bad name for this product corpse um, <laughs> <laughs> and and then go on your way with your phone i think that's actually kind of neat uh the problem of course being that i believe apple's laptops are now thinner than their phones at that part especially the macbook one so uh, probably not going to happen it's just a silly patent but i like thinking about stuff like this also, I, I don't know if, I mean, this this probably could change, but if you feel, if you put your iPhone next to your trackpad and you feel them both, the trackpad has a, a more slippery finish because you're moving all over it more often, whereas the, the glass on a phone is a little bit more of a tacky, higher friction uh, finish. Are you, are you complaining about the thumb friction again? Yeah, and, and I'm not entirely sure that you could make a surface that would feel good on both of those. You make the back of the phone. <laughs> the, the, the the capacitive touch wow. thing well then why not just plug the phone to the side of the laptop like an optical drive like <laughs> well yeah one thing they don't answer in this diagram i didn't read the patent i just is like how how the phone would make a connection to the to the corpse shell like because if it goes straight down in <laughs> you oh can't you can't have the like does something come out and go into the lightning connector like a little mechanical thing it doesn't really make much sense to me but anyway. maybe it could be like an nes where you, you slide it in first and you push it down <laughs> yeah but then you have then you have gaps johnny i would have to want it to be like seamless where it just you know well then you gotta like take it out blow on it put it back in the power light blinks i'll oh, blow it on it again don't blow it on it. it's bad for your carts um did you ever see that thing with the uh was like electrostatic cutting of metal where they will take a block of metal like a solid cube of metal and cut out like a cylinder shape in the middle of it and do it with such precision and with such a small gap that if you take the cylinder and put it into the hole, like you take them apart. So oh, yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. Square. Mm -hmm. You take the cylinder and put it into the hole. It slowly slides down because it's like the world's tightest fit. And when it finally slides down all the way, you can't even see the line around it. I love that stuff. All right. Wow, we did well on follow-up. Look at us. Mostly because we moved half of this from follow-up to topics, but still. We'll move the waffles down because now we're going to, yeah. It's kind of cheating. That's right. Well, well, I mean, I don't know. Like, 
I, I could have seen waffles go either way, but you wanted to go lower. That's fine. Because, because technically speaking, is in this never-ending chain of Marco's laptop orders, if it is eternally follow-up, <laughs> it just it just feels like he's he's like doing a combo chain in a fighting game. It's going on way too long. Like, <laughs> at a certain, a certain point, you have to do. Anyone want to do the combo breaker noise? I don't know, reference uh, maybe over your head. Anyway, certain point you have to do a combo breaker. That's what we're doing here. Uh, Marco is into the topic area, talking about his delicious, delicious waffles. Indeed. So, Marco, tell us about those waffles of yours. All right. Yeah. So, last episode, I uh, described my waffling, where I finally decided that I I really didn't like the 15 inch Touch Bar MacBook Pro, and I I was uh, ordering a 13 inch MacBook Escape to replace it. Which, for those of you not familiar with my stupid names for things, is the low end MacBook Pro, the 13 inch that does not have the Touch Bar. Uh, that has the real hardware escape button, among other things. Don't apologize for your names. They're not stupid. They're better than Apple's names. Yeah, that's that's true. For the, the the name of this pro, see, the reason I I came up with these stupid names is because Apple's names aren't useful. Like when they first introduced the the twelve inch MacBook, and they just said this is the MacBook. It's like, well, okay, there was already something called MacBook that everyone knew, and everything else is called MacBook Pro, and people kind of use the word MacBook to describe the whole lineup and. Yeah, so now they have this 13-inch MacBook Pro, which is quite different from the other computer named 13-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, so, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, I now have it. I got it a few days ago. I want to reserve final judgment for when I've had a chance to travel with it. And that's fortunately happening in, like, a week. Because I haven't really tried pushing it yet. Like, I, I haven't tried travel with it yet. And I haven't really pushed its hardware yet. Uh, although the photo analysis D is doing its job for who knows the next month, I have no idea when it will complete <laughs> because there's no progress meter, no way to pause it or suspend it or tell it what to do or tell it to please not analyze all the photos right now. Um, you can always re-nice it. Oh, you know, I didn't think. Well, I think it's already running in in like a fairly low priority environment. Find um, out what the lowest number is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, then then it will literally will never complete. It's better you want to you might have to do the uh, you know the race to sleep thing. Let it hurry up and finish. Yeah. So at at some point that will calm down. Probably hopefully before I leave for my trip. <laughs> but anyway, from just the experience of using it for a few days, from setting up all my software on it, and we'll get to one of the details of that in a little bit, I think. Um, but just from the experience of like setting it up and using it that way for a while um, and and doing a few nights of of kind of casual stuff on it, like browsing the web and getting, you know, light work done like email and stuff. So far, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I never felt that way about the 15 inch like the 15 inch. I, I love the 15 inch retina when that when that came out in 2012. I immediately loved it. Um, that that machine was awesome for its time still today is pretty awesome um but when when the 15 touch bar when i first got it i never loved it i was i was just kind of thrown by all the different compromises and kind of sideways and backwards steps from the previous one this is basically a macbook air but a modern day interpretation of it in, in many ways, you know, it's the same weight. I mean, so is the other 13-inch with touch bar. Same weight, a little bit smaller. Modern, you know, modern case design. Same Intel processor family, which has those awesome, like, 16 or 15-watt-ish uh, processors, which I, I've said before on this show, are an amazing balance of speed versus portability. Like, they're, it's a really nice sweet spot, and I'm really glad they're, they're using these still. Uh, because th- th- those are previous previously only using the macbook air and the low-end mac mini and i think even the the cheapest 
20, 22 inch or 24 inch uh, iMac that education buyers buy. Anyway, so far, I absolutely love it. Um, the keyboard is the same as all the new keyboards. You know, I, I don't love the low key travel. I don't love how closely spaced all the keys are, which makes me make a few uh, more mistakes than I usually do. Um, the Force Touch trackpad is among Force Touch trackpads I have used. I think it's probably the best one. I still don't love force touch trackpads but this is the best one i've used thermally i think it's really nicely balanced it stays very cool and you hardly ever hear the fan no matter how hard it's working uh when it's totally maxed out you will hear the fan but even then it's pretty quiet and it doesn't get very hot to the touch this is this is one thing i've noticed with all the new macbook pros compare when you compare to the previous generation the you know the the uh the retina generation with the um you know haswell and when you compare the, the new Skylake ones to those, um, one thing you notice immediately, and I actually confirmed this with Intel's power gadget thing, or power widget, whatever they call it, the CPUs, even when they're under load, these new Skylake processors don't usually hit their maximum thermal limits, whereas the old ones would kind of like hit that like 45 watt or whatever. They would like hit that wall and just kind of stay there. The Skylake kind of peaks at it here and there, but it doesn't really stay at that maximum wattage for whatever reason. And so... When you're doing intensive things, these new MacBook Pros are cooler to the touch and quieter than the previous generation. And this one is no exception to that. It, it's very cool, very quiet. I, that, to me, is very, very nice. One other major advantage to it compared to the 15 is that because it doesn't have that discrete GPU, I don't have to like babysit whether it's using that GPU by any programs or not when I'm trying to maximize battery life. Because that's the thing with the 15 is like when the 15 is using that discrete GPU, your battery life gets slaughtered. So you kind of if you're like a power user trying to like make sure you get the most battery life out of it, you kind of have to always be monitoring with some kind of utility or something like whether the, whether the discrete GPU is on or not. And you kind of have to babysit it and and maybe like make different app decisions like, oh, I guess I guess I can't run Chrome right now because I don't have enough power or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. This one, by not having a discrete GPU, it kind of keeps like the the difference between like the the high thermal envelope and the low thermal envelope is 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 a smaller range so you can you can kind of you can worry less about battery life with this so far now again i might modify that decision once i have a chance to travel with it uh, but so far this is awesome now also about the touch bar and touch id um so i had the touch bar and touch id for a little while for you know five months or whatever it's been um i now don't have them anymore i don't miss the touch bar at all. The very first time I wanted to adjust brightness and I had to like hit a button a few times instead of sliding a thing, I thought, oh, I kind of missed the slider thing. Then I immediately stopped. I immediately forgot about it. <laughs> I don't miss the touch bar at all. Touch ID, I, I thought I would miss a lot. In practice, I do miss touch ID, but I don't miss it as much as I thought I would because in practice, touch ID on, on the 15-inch and, and the 13 touch bar is not always there when you want it. And this is probably going to improve over time, I hope. But there's a lot of system dialogues and things where they ask where you need to give it your password that Touch ID is is offered for maybe a third of them that I've seen and not all of them. And so you you actually aren't using it all the time. So I found that it is nice when it's offered to you, but that it because it's offered so inconsistently and sometimes there's a few bugs regarding Touch ID, especially at the login screen when you're waking it up from sleep. Uh, I, I find overall that I actually don't miss it as much 
as I expected I would. Because in practice, while it sounds like it's going to be amazing, once you have it in practice, you realize, yeah, it's not quite there yet. So this is another thing where, like, along with the touch bar, I think this would probably be good in a few years, or at least better in a few years. But for this current laptop generation, if you choose not to get the touch bar, I don't think you're missing that much. Because Touch ID is still not all the way there yet, and the Touch Bar itself, I, I think, is still a, a big question mark about whether it's really a net win or not. And for me, for my usage personally and my preferences, your mileage may vary, but for my usage and preferences, uh, I'm very happy without it. Uh, I like having my hardware escape key back. I like having all the buttons up top that are just buttons and they just work all the time. I love not ha- not accidentally brushing it when I'm moving my hands around um, and accidentally like turning the brightness way up or turning the speaker way down or something. Like it, it is nice to, and it's also just nice to have a kind of. I know this is weird, but it's kind of like a simpler look. Like the touch bar is actually kind of distracting, uh, and it, it looks kind of gimmicky. And so to have a, a nice, simpler, like more pure look, if that makes sense, um, is a little bit more, I don't know, peaceful. It's hard, it's hard to really quantify these feelings. But overall, I'm actually quite happy not having the touch bar. And, and this machine in general, uh, I'm extremely happy with. The only things I can say that, that are downsides to it are what I mentioned last week, which is the price is really not a great value for what you're getting. Although, you know, I guess, you know, how much is your happiness worth? But, you know, like if you look at like specs, <laughs> by, by the specs by, and the power, and when you compare it to the previous generation of MacBook Air, which is still for sale uh, because Apple, uh, it's not a great value. Uh, it, it is a lot more expensive than it was before. And the configuration I got, which is basically everything maxed out except for the, uh, I got 512 instead of a terabyte, is something like $2,200. And for something that is not a 15-inch, that's a pretty high price. Um, that being said, I'm happier with it than my 15-inch. So, you know, what does that say? Um, the other thing is, I remember when these first came out, we, we talked briefly in the show, there was there was a guy, I, f- I forget his name, he's, he's a YouTuber that everyone else knows except us because we're not cool and we're, we're too old to watch YouTube, I guess. Um, but there was, a, there was a YouTuber who did a bunch of tests where plugging in certain things to the USB-C ports would make the Wi-Fi cut out on the new MacBook Pros. And I think that was this model that he was testing because I think that was the only one that was available at that time. I think I have a Wi-Fi problem uh, in that sometimes, like as I was like installing lots of stuff and like, you know, downloading lots of stuff, sometimes all the internet connections would just stop working. And until, until I turned off the Wi-Fi and turned it back on again, that, and that happened like three times over a few days. So I think I have a problem, and I and I hope it doesn't apply to all of them. And I'm not sure that's enough of a problem to actually like get this repaired or replaced because I don't want to mess with that. Everything else about it is perfect. I love everything else about it. Actually, I I don't love the keyboard, but relative relative to what we have today, you know, relative to our choices today, this is great. Um, but I'm a little concerned about that Wi-Fi thing, but otherwise, if that doesn't end up being a a problem in practice most of the time, I would just tolerate it because otherwise this computer is awesome. You know, the the 15-inch is great if you're doing, you know, Casey, what you do, which is you have like a work work laptop that you take to and from work or that is like your primary computer or your only computer. If that's your situation, 
I think it does make sense for a lot of people to use the 15-inch because it is the most computer that you can get for a little over 2000 bucks. Uh it is a great, you know, power system and it's really nice in a lot of ways and I used one for years and and I I that's there's a reason why I have waffled over time between the 13-inch and 15-inch size classes because they're both great. But for me right now as a secondary computer that I use when traveling, right now I'm really happy with this 13-inch and you know, you could point at this clip and laugh in four months or six months when I change my mind and say, I got to go back to the 15 inch. This is not enough power or screen space, whatever. Oh, that's being generous. It's going to be four weeks. <laughs> well, it took me like five months on this one. But uh, anyway, mm-hmm. so, you know, I might change my mind later. I probably will. That's just what I do, I guess. Everyone, other tech podcasters, like, they'll like try Android phones for a month. I, I do this, I guess. Uh, this is my thing. But. Right now, I'm extremely happy with this 13-inch MacBook Pro with no good name. And uh, yeah, I, that's my review so far. Uh, ask me again after I travel with it and try to actually do work on it. But so far, I'm very happy with it. So that Wi-Fi thing has me worried. Me too. I don't like that. I don't, especially if I can't attribute a reason. Do you have a 10.12.4 on it? Yeah, a 10.12.4 from, from minute one. Uh, it didn't come with it, but I upgraded. that was the first thing I did when I got it. And mm-hmm. when when the Wi-Fi dropped... It was not plugged into anything. Yeah. So that is concerning. The fact that this computer has now been out for six months and that is still happening suggests to me that this is a an inherent flaw with the design of this model that they're not going to fix until the next model comes out. If you, you think it's a hardware thing then? Probably. Yeah. But we will see. I don't, I don't like this kind of problems. I don't like them at all. Well, that's why you don't buy any computers ever. That's very true. <laughs> My computer has no Wi-Fi problems because it doesn't have Wi-Fi. Nailed it. It, it, it. As it so happens, the the 2008 Mac Pro that you have, that I used to have, uh, is probably the computer I have had that had the fewest problems ever of any computer I've ever had. Uh, so you happen to luck out with that one, but I think anything else you buy, you're going to be disappointed. Say, I mean, so far, the, the fingers crossed, 5K iMac is doing its thing without complaint oh my image retention is getting really bad really fast <laughs> it's getting bad every time i do anything gray if i if i open up logic or if i view daring fireball i just see the immense shadows of everything that i was viewing before it's like me <laughs> me playing zelda seeing those heart shadows <laughs> yeah it's it's bad you know what i did marco to help fix that i'm really not trying to be snarky is uh, you know that what is it aerial screensaver that we've all um, i think mentioned at some point the ones the apple tv one yeah 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 exactly uh, Ariel is the name of the screensaver. Um, what I've done is I've put that on my 5K, which I've occasionally seen some image retention that has made me very unhappy. I've put I've set my Mac to run that screensaver for like an hour or two after I'm done with the computer so that you have something that is constantly moving and kind of getting me back to a known good state. For all I know, this is a darn placebo, but as far as I can tell, it has made my image retention way, way, way better. Why don't you try getting a screen with some technology that doesn't suffer from image retention? Uh, John. <laughs> I believe that's what you said to me last time I complained about my plasma. <sighs> As you both complained about your LCDs with image retention. Good thing OLED doesn't have these problems. Oh, wait, it does. <laughs> no, I mean, like, in cases like that, you're, that wouldn't actually help my problem because... My problem is not like I walked away for 10 minutes. It's like as I'm using it, like I, I happen yep. to have this one window open for an hour as I was working in it. And, yeah. <laughs> and then I moved. It's like it's getting and, yeah. and you know, an image retention is the kind of thing where like, you know, sometimes you have it like right at the beginning. But usually like, you know, when the thing's brand new, it doesn't have it. And then if you're going to if it's going to be a problem, like you won't notice it for a while. And then all of a sudden it'll start being noticeable. And then it gets it gets worse usually 
at an accelerating rate after that point. Someone <laughs> someone who knows more about the the chemistry and electronics of LCDs could probably tell us why this is a factor in these modern LG panels or whatever it is we're using and why, for example, I'm staring at the Apple 23-inch cinema display in aluminum case with white sides that has no image retention ever and is like the low, the the oldest thing ever like there must is again it's not just like oh lcd versus plasma versus whatever it's the particular screens and so maybe there's been something about modern screens and the way they're constructed and formulated or maybe just by particular manufacturers that makes them so much more susceptible to image retention under casual circumstances like again we've all seen like the the check-in kiosks at the airport that are just super burned in so like at a certain point if you show the same image on the screen 24 hours a day seven days a week except for brief periods of activity of course that's going to happen but you're just using your 5k iMac it's pretty light usage compared to an airport terminal you just say like i have daring fireball open for a second then i click to another window to go in front of it and i see the little star embedded in the window or vice versa seeing no no, it's the opposite it's like when you have a bunch of black and white windows up and then you load something gray like daring fireball or logic then you see shadows of every of all those black and white borders that were previously there yeah so and it's it's sticking around longer now than it did before too like i i had an entire podcast today uh like i edited under the radar today which admittedly doesn't take me that long it takes me like 10 minutes to edit but like that entire 10 minute edit i had a shadow of the window behind it Ugh. yeah not not going away that's the other thing by the way like my plasma obviously it's worse than my plasma because when it does get there you're going to be waiting like a year for it to be in, entirely <laughs> gone whereas image retention like my ipad 3 had pretty bad image retention too uh but as bad as it was and you could see it it was like three to five minutes and it would be 100 percent gone um and so that's preferable it makes you feel like oh it's an annoyance but uh but it's not like i have to wait a year for this to go away but anyway like didn't apple do a a recall replace for image retention i think it was on the original retina 15 inch macbook pro right um there were certain i think it was certain ones mine wasn't even part of that like i, I had that original one it did have image retention and i i eventually got it fixed but it took a long time yeah oh, one thing before before i forget um on the macbook escape screen it is a beautiful screen I absolutely love it. And this is actually, so, you know, as I'm setting everything up new, um, one of the things I did, you know, I usually pick pick a background that's some photo I took recently that I like. And the photo I picked for this one includes my son wearing a, a like, really bright, saturated orange jacket. And I think this is the the, uh, the P3 color gamut helping me out here because it's this, this very saturated orange color just looks incredible on this screen. It's This is the first screen I've ever seen that makes my my first gen 5k iMac screen look less good by comparison. Every other previous Retina laptop looked worse to me. This one looks awesome. Now that being said, the same thing probably applies to the 15 inch. I'd use a different picture for the wallpaper on that one. So <laughs> the same thing probably applies to the new 15. But just to point out, even on this one, which is basically the new MacBook Air, the previous MacBook Air used a crap screen to, to save cost and space and whatever else. The, the MacBook Escape today is amazing. It is an awesome screen. And to have that on what is, you know, the low-end model, even though it's still not a good value, but it is in the lineup, it is the low-end model, um, to have that is really, really nice. And I'm, I'm extremely happy. I, I, can't, I can't overstate how happy I am right now with this purchase, even though the Wi-Fi doesn't always work, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> so as someone who is considering getting a... 
MacBook One, which, as far as I know, is a MacBook Adorable, right? Somebody put in the show notes yes. MacBook One versus uh, MacBook we'll Adorable. We'll address that after you okay. get to your Well, you, you're freaking me out here because I always use them interchangeably, and I got nervous that I had misunderstood. So anyway, so as someone who's considering a MacBook Adorable slash MacBook One, what remind me again what it was that brought you to this instead of a MacBook One? Obviously power, but what else was it? It was when I when I put them both side by side in the Apple Store on the table, and I played with them for a while because I went in on a weekday where nobody was there. <laughs> so when, when when I when I had some time with both side by side, and also mm-hmm. thinking back to to when I did briefly buy uh, a twelve inch MacBook One, mm-hmm. basically the the main difference to me is just the way they feel, the ergonomics of using them. That the the twelve inch size is really small, and in certain ways that actually makes it less comfortable. Uh, for me, at least. And again, your mileage may vary. But for me, the general operation of it, like where to place your hands, opening and closing it, all these things, like it was pleasant in, at how small and light it was. But when you actually, when it came time to actually, like, you know, put it down, open it up, use it, type on it, put it in your lap, I found the 13 inch size worked better for me and was more comfortable. Um, I also found a dramatic difference in the trackpad click. Uh, it was, that's a huge, if you put it side by side, I'm t- do it in a store, put them side by side. The trackpad difference is extremely noticeable. And there is still a keyboard difference as well. I don't know how long the keyboard difference will be there. I'm, I'm assuming that the next MacBook 12-inch update will, will bring the keyboard parity there. Uh, but mm-hmm. right now, there's still a, a, a keyboard difference. And, and it's not a massive difference. But the 13 inch is just better, and so in 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 all those ways, you know the the physical ergonomics, the 13 inch is you know 50 percent heavier. Like it is noticeable how much heavier it is than the 12 inch. Uh, but it's still a really small. It's it's a 13 inch MacBook Air, you know, in weight. It's still a really thin and light computer. It is still really compact. Um, it it does perform better, but I don't think the performance difference is that big. It does have two USB-C ports instead of one. That's still not a lot, but two is better than one. That, and that there are, <laughs> there are going to be situations in which I'm going to be really happy I have that second port and, I, and that having the one would have been a pain. I do think the screen is higher quality. I have not looked up to see if anything backs this up or if this is just placebo, but I think the screen is higher quality than 13. Um, the And... In various like size classes of things we use, you can look at the iPad line, for instance, and the reaction for most people, myself included, is that when we picked up that 12-inch, 12.9-inch iPad Pro, when you're using it as a laptop, that's cool, but when you, when you have to like pick it up and hold it in your hand as an iPad, that's a little bit too big for most people. Similarly, when you pick up the iPad mini, uh, that's fine for a lot of people, but but for a lot of people, that's like, you know, this is a little small. I'd like something a little bit bigger. And it turns out that 9.7 is a really good size for a device that you use and hold and carry like an iPad. Similarly with phones, you see like a lot of people like the really big ones, but most people stick with the medium-sized ones, and the small ones are still very well-liked. And so it seems like around the size of the 4.7-inch iPhone is probably like the ideal size right now for phones for most people. And I think if you, you you can look at laptops and you see kind of a similar thing, because like all these things, all these perceptions of what's an ideal size are generally related to like how big are average people and how you know how do you hold things, how, how what do you carry, how do you carry it, what, how do your hand, how are your hands shaped, and where do they go, right? And I think in the world of laptops, 
we had bigger ones in the past. We had like the 17 inch, and that was that was a massive aircraft carrier. It was awesome when you want when you were using that giant screen, uh, but it was really unwieldy to carry around and use. So that was kind of deemed by the market and eventually by Apple. You know what? That's that's too big. Uh, and the 15 is now the high end, and I think in the world of laptops, I would say 13 inch is really the sweet spot of like. This is the best size for most people. And I think sales back that up because in, in the last, you know, however many years that the, that the MacBook Air has been a thing, I would guess the 13-inch MacBook Air was Apple's number one selling computer for a very long time. It might still be because education buys a ton of them. Thir- the 13-inch MacBook Air is an amazing balance of size, portability, cost even. But, you know, just f- talking about physical stuff only for a minute, that's a, it's, a, it's a really great balance. And this is just the sequel to that, right? The the MacBook One slash adorable slash twelve inch, um, it is smaller and lighter. And if if your number one goal is to be able to carry this with as little weight as possible, or like underscore to be able to like actually wear one in your jacket, which is amazing. <laughs> like if if your number one goal is get it as small as possible, then yeah, go for that one. But if instead you're looking for more of like a an all-arounder the best laptop in general for most people most of the time or the one that's most comfortable to use most of the time i would say the 13 inch is the better balance of that i would also say that the screen size on the 13 inch is great and that i'm i don't want a smaller screen than this Hmm. fair enough all right well i appreciate it i still feel like i want me a macbook adorable but everything you just said makes perfect sense it's just i think because i want to basically have a ipad that you can actually do things on hi mike um that's why i want the adorable oh you're gonna hear about that oh i'm gonna pay for that later We are sponsored this week by Audible. With an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more get a free 30-day trial at audible.com slash atp if you want to listen to it, Audible has it. You can listen to audiobooks from virtually every genre, anytime, anywhere. You can play them on phones, tablets, computers, even devices like e-readers and iPods, if you still have an iPod. Audible's audiobooks are great for long flights, long road trips, or even your daily commute. Because you, you know what? You might think you don't have a lot of time to read books every year, but you'd be surprised how many audiobooks you can, you can hear if you just put them into these everyday spots like your commute or road trips or doing chores around the house. You'd be amazed how much time that adds up to. And audiobooks bring books to life. Many of them are read by the authors themselves, which adds a really extra dimension to the text. And you can take risks with Audible. You could try new authors. You could take risks on content because they offer their great listen guarantee. So if you start an audiobook and you don't like it, you can exchange it for another one for free. So see all this yourself. When you begin your free 30-day trial at Audible, you get your first audiobook for free. And there's no stress or obligation because you can cancel your membership whenever you want. So with audiobooks and spoken word products, you will find what you're looking for. Get a free 30-day trial by signing up at audible.com slash ATP. That's audible.com slash ATP. Thanks to Audible for sponsoring our show. So what is the deal with whoever put in the show notes MacBook One versus MacBook Adorable? We touched on it before. I just wanted to bring it back around. So this is these are two names for the 12-inch MacBook that Apple just calls MacBook that has one uh, USB-C port slash power plug on the side. 
And another name that it is known by, and again, the reason people make up these names is not just to be cute, but also because we need something to distinguish it because MacBook is not, uh, you know, unique enough, um, is MacBook Adorable. That's a, a name invented by another podcast where they talk about uh, sneakers and plane crashes as far as I'm able to determine. <laughs> not a tech podcast. Actually, by the way, I'm pretty sure that was on Cortex, not Hello Internet. Um, so that was, oh, is that right? not the sneakers and plane crash podcast. That was the productivity email software podcast. Ah, that's a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> email. I'll give you email. But yeah, um, I'm pretty sure CGP Gray invented that name for, for it on Cortex. Right. And MacBook one Marco invented right on, on the show. Yeah. All right. So, and our chat room and I both collaborated on MacBook escape. Yes. Um, MacBook one versus MacBook adorable. We are using them both interchangeably on the show, and I was thinking about it, about uh, which name, if we should settle on a name, or what's going to happen there, and unfortunately, I think, I think slash hope that MacBook Adorable is going to have more longevity, not necessarily because it's a better name, but because as soon as they add a second USB-C port to the 12-inch MacBook, MacBook One doesn't have doesn't doesn't make sense anymore in fact it becomes undistinguishing because we we would need we're gonna have to call it macbook 2 or something and then that's kind of confusing (laughs) um but whereas adorable if it's still very small it is still adorable macbook adorable lasts until they come up with a new macbook that is entirely different form factor that is as thin as a sheet of paper and then it probably comes up with a new name so it seems to me that in the long run macbook adorable will stand triumphant over the Again, the corpse of that uh, of that laptop line when that day comes. Well, I mean, and also, like, I've even stopped saying MacBook One most of the time because, Nat, like, it, it the reason I I started saying that name in the first place was similar to my reason now for for having for saying MacBook Escape for for this 13 inch because like Apple's name for it was vague and ambiguous when you would use it in conversation, um, and that computer has now been out for over two years, so. I feel like now we can just say MacBook, and most of the time that that will now suffice. People will usually know what what we mean now, and if not, I've been saying twelve inch MacBook, which really clarifies it. And so I think the need for alternative names for that product has now mostly or entirely passed because it's just been long enough. The MacBook Escape, I think, still needs clever names like that, but that will probably expire in like a year as well. Yeah, once they get rid of those darn uh, pesky physical keys and put the touch bar on everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'll hold on to this forever. No, you know, the, the funny thing is I, I train myself into um, using caps lock for escape everywhere, and I'm still doing that now. You're, you're allowed to. You, you're still allowed to do that. Like, and now I, you can use both now, like, you know, because when you remap caps lock to escape, the escape key still does escape. And uh, so I'm able to use both now, but caps lock is so much bigger and closer to my pinky. So there it is. So, really, you're just biding time until the touch bar makes it to everything. You're basically pulling a John. Yeah, like, when the touch bar makes it to everything, if that if that's going to be a thing, which it probably will eventually, um, you know, I'm not going to, like, throw a huge fit over it. The, the main reason I like this computer is that it has the MacBook Air CPU class and a massive battery in a really, really good size and weight package. The The 13-inch with touch bar is only different in a, in a few of those factors. Like, it still is the same size and weight. I would probably be very happy with that one as well, but it has worse battery life, and the touch bar has these downsides for me that, that I, don't, I don't love. 
So for me, that's that's kind of a minor feature difference. If there if there comes a time when I can only get the the model I want with a touch bar, I'll do it. It'll be you know I won't love it, but it'll be fine. So since we've recorded, I believe, uh, yeah, because it was Monday, uh, Apple has opened WWDC Lottery. The, uh, so the way it works is, as of two or three years ago now, you put your name in a hat, and if you are lucky enough to win <laughs> the lottery— A really big hat. A really big hat. If you're lucky enough to win the lottery, you have won the opportunity, and you will take that opportunity. That's the way it works. But you have won the opportunity to give Apple $1,600 of your money, and you will get a ticket to WWDC in return. So the lottery started um, this past Monday, and it runs, I believe, until Friday afternoon, evening, something like that. And then presumably shortly thereafter, they will start telling people whether or not they have made it in. Uh, first question, uh, before we go any further is the obvious question, uh, who put their name in the hat? I can tell you that I did. I have listened to under the radar, so I know your answer, Marco, but why don't you share with the group, please? Sure. I mean, under the radar this week, I I go into detail. Um, but the summary of it is that this is the first year since 2009 that I am not seeking a ticket. Uh, and that's not because I think it's bad or anything. It's, it's simply because I have found, in the last couple of years that my my utility of the conference is going down um, because I've just been to so many it, it, it gets a little repetitive after a while if you're like a, if you're a first timer or if you've only been a couple times and, and you you're still getting a lot out of each time by all means go for it um, but for me I've just found that I, I, I have gone so much and it really is geared significantly towards newcomers um, because usually about half or more of their attendees are first timers um, so if you go every single year, um, it's it starts getting a little bit less necessary for you. So this year, I've decided to focus instead on the surrounding events. Like I'm going to I'm going to the Layers Conference, which I highly recommend, um, and and I'll be around stuff like that. Um, but I'm I decided this year to forego the official conference, but I will be out there, and I, I hope to see all of you there as well. John, I put my name in the ring again. I really like WWDC still. I would also like to go to Layers. I'm not sure if I could swing both of them. Obviously, I can't be physically in two places at once, but it's also, you know, an added expense to pay for both of them. Let me tell you, as somebody who did that, you can't. Like, yeah. <laughs> you just can't. I mean, the the only the advantage is that Layers was only, I think, the first three days or two days, and mm-hmm. so uh, you could at least go to WBDC for the last two or three days. But I did that two years ago, and it was it was a huge waste. It was. Uh, it, it was a huge waste of both passes, really. Um, I felt bad that I like I had to miss like half of layers and a good chunk of WBDC. Like you could try to try to go to things from both. So I would not recommend doing WBDC with another conference. Yeah. But if you don't get a ticket to that, or if you rather would not go to that, uh, I do recommend uh, layers as an alternative conference. Yeah. So if I don't get a ticket to WBDC. I will probably try to get a ticket to Layers just so I have some reason to actually travel out there and don't get yelled at by you two for not coming. Wait, so you're going to come? Oh, I was. I am so happy right now, John. This is the best. Oh, I never thought you'd come. This is great. Neither. Yeah, me neither. If well, I know, I would come if I got Layers. If I didn't get tickets to anything, then we're back to mm, maybe not so much. <laughs> 
<laughs> that needs to be somebody's like text or ringtone. But anyway, um, no, that's fantastic news. I, I assumed that if you did not get a WWDC ticket, that that was that the the story is over. Then uh, we we will not be seeing you this year. But that's fantastic. See, if I just come for layers, I could I would probably also not be there for the same amount of time because layers is only three days. So I basically. Yeah come back earlier and that would re- hopefully reduce the expenses of everything all around you know so if you weren't there you wouldn't get a chance to see this year's version of my podcast recording setup because it changes yeah, every year true. dramatically mm-hmm. so <laughs> oh man that's funny we're gonna have laugh mics this year is that what's happening i was actually thinking about uh headsets i'm, I'm looking i'm doing some research to see like <laughs> oh, are there any oh, headsets God. that sound decent because that would allow me to pack a lot less stuff overall. Yeah. Oh, my word. Turns out microphone stands are massive in your suitcase. I had to pay the overweight limit on my on my checked bag <laughs> last year. <laughs> it was full of, like, microphone stands and stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, trying to, uh, trying to reduce that a little bit this year. We'll see. Uh, so I did put my name in the hat, and uh, I cannot agree more that Layers is unbelievably good. Um, we know uh, at least one of the, the women that run it, uh, Jesse Char, uh, works with us, and she is fantastic and amazing. And the conference, unsurprisingly, is fantastic and amazing. Um, Layers is, if you've ever been to another tech conference before, you will immediately recognize that Layers is a conference designed and run by people who have been to a lot of other tech conferences and have put a ton of thought and consideration and effort into fixing and addressing the things that everyone actually wants and needs when they go to a tech conference. And so you go there and there's like, you know, it's it's a really nice schedule. It's not like too packed. The talks aren't too long. There's lots of socialization time between things. There's amazing snacks and coffee right there in the room. And hot chocolate. Yeah, there's like and there's like there's like Advil in case you like drank too much the night before or whatever. Like it's, it's like it's they really they think of everything that you want out of a tech conference even if you don't realize that because they did think about it they did realize it and they planned for it and it's just awesome so i i wrote a review of layers uh shortly after i left uh last year and and i'll put the link in the show notes but it begins as follows layers is the fantasy conference we all wish existed but are too scared or preoccupied or wimpy to put together and i stand by that a year later and layers is really fantastic it is it is not an also ran to wwdc it is it is equally as good so definitely check that out um if you can i i highly recommend it and uh jesse jesse is really awesome so uh yeah that 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 is a genuine and honest uh quasi advertisement from all of us uh because we really like it that much we were sponsored this week by betterment investing made better go to betterment.com slash atp to learn more Betterment is a smarter way to invest your money, providing investing advice through smart technology, automated investing, and human advisors. They've changed the industry by using the same strategies that financial advisors use with clients who have millions of dollars, but now available to everyone, including smart rebalancing, global diversification, tax-efficient investment strategies, and more. Betterment's mission is to help you manage and grow your investments to build your financial future, all with low fees, so you lose less of your money along the way. Because if you do the math, typical investment fees and costs really add up over time, and Betterment's fees are a fraction of the cost of other financial services. And Betterment's so easy to use that they've won awards for their customer experience. You can log into a demo account right on their website if you want to see it for yourself. Investing involves risk. 
For a limited time, sign up for Betterment, and you may qualify for a free Canary home security system to help secure your home. For terms and conditions, visit Betterment.com slash ATP. That's Betterment.com slash ATP. Betterment, investing made better. Anyway, um, there are some interesting changes to WDC this year, other than the obvious uh, relocation to uh, San Jose, which I keep calling San Diego uh, in conversation because my youngest brother lives in San Diego and I keep getting confused. It's the same, right? Well, yeah, it's to- they're like next to each other. So yeah. if I do that later, uh, just just like John said the other day, uh, just fill in what I meant. But anyway, uh, they're they're like last year. Apple is to some degree. I don't know if I should go so far as to say embracing, but perhaps acknowledging that there are other things that are happening at the same time. So on the WWDC site, there's a page called Beyond WWDC. And the header there reads, in addition to Apple's Worldwide Developer Con- Developers Conference, a variety of other ex- exciting developer events will take place throughout the week in San Jose. And they mention, among other things, layers, uh, AltConf, which I've never actually gone to, um, but I've heard very good things about. Uh, this year, CocoConf, which I've gone to a couple of them, they're doing what they're calling CocoConf Next Door, which is, uh, I guess, either literally or figuratively next door to um, WWDC. Oh, it looks like it is literally next door to WWDC. Uh, there's the Beard Bash talk show with John Gruber and uh, James Dempsey and the Breakpoints, which gets a special call out because that's a benefit concert for App Camp for gir- blah, blah, blah. a benefit concert for App Camp for Girls, which is a uh, a organization that is near and dear to our hearts. Um, so you should definitely check that out if you happen to be in town. Uh, and that's I think that's really cool that Apple is really starting to again, if not embrace, at least acknowledge. Um, that there are other things going on at the same time. I know it happened last year, but I'm happy to see it back this year. Additionally, uh, there has been a couple of really fascinating brand new changes uh, to the WWDC site, which I am genuinely really excited about. The first is something that we all got really, really crotchety about last year, and I think deservedly so. There's a code of conduct. It is quite short, but... um, as someone who is not a good reader of these things, it seems to cover most bases, I say with little conviction, but it looked fine to me. I don't know. Did you guys have any thoughts on the code of conduct? It's typical Apple writing, like get right to the point, cover all the bases. Don't like, because the longer you make it and the more complicated it is, the more it seems like it's some kind of weird legalese Apple trying to cover its butt versus what it's supposed to be, which is a thing that expresses the expectations of guests of, you know, if you come to this, here's how you're expected to behave. If, if you're here and people don't comply with this, then you know, and everybody knows it's explicitly against the rules and here's what you do about it. Right. And so that's all, that's what people are asking for. And like the, the, the resistance to code of conducts was always kind of, you know, essentially organizations as personified by whoever you want to put as the the head of the organization getting defensive like what are you trying to say like everybody's nice at our things right why do we have to have a code of conduct they don't do anything anyway bad people are just going to do bad things why have laws people will just break them and you know it just goes around and around. <laughs> it's like oh geez just look if everyone agrees that there's an expectation of behavior just write it down and then write down what to do if something happens that against the thing that you all think we agree on right and then actually follow through with it. And if something does happen and someone does report it, then you will actually then you will actually go and remedy the situation rather than trying to sweep it under the carpet. That part can't be in the code of conduct, but it is the is the presumption, assuming that we think Apple is, you know, 
really behind this. And I think they are behind it. And I think last year they were just caught unaware by this and probably like lawyers had to get involved and so on and so forth. They just had to get on the same page with everybody else. Like this is a thing that you should have. It is the baseline for any kind of conference. Uh, and now Apple's on the same page with the rest of the civilized world saying, you know, here's our code of conduct. It is straightforward. It is the thing that we all think we all agree that we all believe in. Uh, but now we've written it down. Yep. So I'm really happy to see that there um, because there would have been hell to pay and, and deservedly so had they ignored it for this year. Yeah, it's kind of amazing they didn't already have one in previous years, honestly. But it is good to see it now. I mean, like I said, I think it's because, like, just the kind of agreement of, like, look, everything's fine. We're all friends here. Everyone's cool. Like, like there was there was already a code of conduct not written down implicit because if you came to WWDC and started acting like a hooligan in a way that was <laughs> visible to everybody, you would get kicked out. And Apple would point to some legal lead that says, look, we reserve the right to kick you out whenever the hell we want. And here's where you're being disruptive. But in all the other cases of people doing things that are not externally visible, people having a bad time because of someone else's behavior and them going to complain about it and be like, well, I didn't see it, so there's nothing I could do, and they didn't cause a disruption, so we can't kick them out. And just like, that's the point where you need to say, look, these things are going to happen. We have to have a policy about it, founded in something, not just to let it be, not just let it fall to whoever happens to be there to take the complaint at the time. Have something in writing on the front page of the thing that says, this is how it's supposed to work. So that if something does go down, you can say, look, this is in violation of, you know, you that everyone understands and everyone agrees, both the people who could potentially perpetrate these kind of things and the people who are victims of them feel like that Apple is behind, that, like they're, 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 writing down what they say is supposed to be rather than just saying i bet we're all nice and everything will be fine and we'll just get along right it, that's that's not a <laughs> that's not a workable system in this day and age certainly not and uh not to turn this into the layers love lounge but uh the layers <laughs> code of conduct has emoji everywhere which mean which immediately means i'm paying very close attention to it so uh here again layers knows what's up the other thing that uh that is really exciting about the wwdc changes for this year is they are offering child care and the entire passage reads as follows group child care will be available free of charge for children eight years old or younger and will be provided by corporate kids make sure to include your need for child care during ticket registration as space is limited that is super awesome um it's super awesome even for somebody like me. I don't think I'm going to, to, to take them up on this, and certainly I didn't like enroll on it, enroll, enroll in it when I put my uh, name in the ring. But if hypothetically we wanted to, the, the three of us, Aaron and Declan and myself, go out to San Francisco for the week, and Aaron wanted to have five minutes to herself at any point, I could bring Declan to WWDC and have him play with uh, all the other kids, and Aaron could go sightsee, and I could learn, and everyone is happy. And so even for somebody like us, this is awesome. Imagine how freaking amazing this is for somebody who is, say, a single parent or perhaps just a caregiver for whatever reason. Like, uh, there's a million and seven different ways why this is amazing, and I'm, I was not expecting this. I was expecting a code of conduct. I was not expecting this, and this is awesome. So I, I applaud apple for both of these moves i think they're they're perhaps overdue but still i'm really really stoked about both of them yep agreed yeah we all pay a lot of money for these tickets like they you know sixteen hundred dollars per person you can do the math um and apple has to decide how to allocate that money obviously they pay for the space and they pay for you know safety and security and they pay to set up all the stuff in there and like I, honestly i don't know if wwc is a profit center or not i imagine it would have to at least break even or something but who knows but either way they have to decide how to allocate their money and in the grand scheme of things, like when you're trying to decide what will make what will make our conference better, so you can like layers, like you know, 
a conference made by people who have been to a bunch of other conferences and have found like these are the things that annoy me and these are the things that I wish existed. This is one of those things that can can fundamentally change the experience of the conference or just make it feasible for for a whole set of people. And if you have to trade that versus some of Casey's beloved Ottawa, like that's a, <laughs> that's a reasonable trade because there's lots of there's lots of other places where you could spend this money, right? Well, let's not but, get too aggressive, John. Let's not take my Ottawa. Well, yeah. <laughs> just bring back strawberry sea monster that's all i ask <laughs> a lot of people like you're allergic to bananas right a lot of yes. people are allergic to the, the strawberries well yeah so have some variety <laughs> don't have every flavor have banana in it there is they make one that doesn't it's very popular and they used to have it until like two years ago the struggle is real that type of thing is actually surprisingly expensive and especially since like space is limited rubber just offering this as a service as as an amenity as a thing that comes as part of your $1600 i'm sure the people who are taking advantage of it would gladly trade for a bunch of extra danishes that just go stale because nobody eats them or whatever you know like the the costs the costs of a thing like this are surprisingly high even for something as like you know those those silly stale danishes you eat if you if you knew exactly how much each one of those costs in the grand scheme of things once you add it all up <laughs> um well, the secret to the stale danishes is that every year there is one type of danish that they serve in the breakfast platter that actually is really good. So it's kind of a sport to find out, like, you know, to find out the one good one every year. Like, see how can you find it out by Tuesday morning? Then you're going to have great breakfast the rest of the week. <laughs> they're all pretty good. Uh, Any of the ones with the fruit jam in the middle, I'd say they're pretty good. I, I you know, blueberries, uh, like pineapple, apple, all those are good. I, I give those all thumbs up. You can basically live on those if you if you try real hard. See now now I'm regretting not getting a ticket this year because I'm going to miss the, all the stale danishes, mm-hmm. and because they're going to be new stale danishes because they're going it's going to be a different venue. I'll, I'll give you a play by play of the terrible box launches. That's one place where they don't <laughs> where they don't put the money. No, they're it, not. That sixteen hundred dollars is not going. Which I'm, I'm all for <laughs> because there are plenty of other good places where you can get food for a reasonable uh, price around there. But there are not places where you can drop off your child. And you know, have them be close to you for a reasonable lot of money during WWDC. So this is this is a wise allocation of resources. This is exactly the type of thing that can make the conference uh, again not just like a, a more pleasant experience for some people, but just like just plain possible for people who previously couldn't even entertain the idea of going. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. This is super great, and I and I, I said it before, but I'll say it one more time. I I'm super excited that that these are the moves that Apple's making in, in a year where. I think the three of us have had a couple of complaints. Uh, this is 100%. <laughs> this is 100%. Uh, I can't say two thumbs up because I'm only one person. We got scolded about that once. But I will give a single thumb up because that's all I'm permitted to do. Don't, don't allow that scolding. You have two thumbs. Who's got two thumbs? This guy. guy. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, wow. uh, I, I'm really stoked about this. And, uh, and I am... Uh, I am hopefully going to see John there, and uh, then I'll be jealous of uh, what Marco says at Layers, or maybe I'll be with Marco at Layers, who, who even knows. But we'll figure it out one way or the other. But I am, I am already trying not to get my hopes up for the big John Syracuse hug that I always forget how tall you are and that I have to reach up and get on my tippy toes to give you a proper hug. And I'm already looking forward to that awkward moment. Get ready, John. I'm coming for you. My body is ready. <laughs> I love you. I love you so much, John Syracuse. Oh my God, that's amazing. Thanks to our three sponsors this week <laughs> Betterment, Audible, and Backblaze. And we will see you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin because it was accidental. accidental.
Oh, it was accidental. John didn't do any research. Marco and Casey wouldn't let him. Cause it was accidental. Oh, it was accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm. And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at C-A-S-E-Y-L. ISS, so that's Casey Liss, M A R C O A R M E N T Marco Armen S I R A C U S A Syracuse. It's accidental. So I'm trying. Somebody asked for a picture of the box lunches in the chat, and I am the kind of moron Pic- that pictures don't do them justice. Well, they, they are not <laughs> terribly tasty, but I think you're overblowing how no, I, I am, they are. I'm going to put this in the notes. It's for, for next week. I, I there. I need to go into detail about what what really goes wrong with these lunches. Not today, but I'll. I'll well, do you want to just do that now? No, because we're going to talk about Zelda. So I'm not cutting into my Zelda time. Hey. Hey. Speaking of the devil, hello. <laughs> Don't want to cut into your Zelda time, John. Yeah, he wanted me to, to expound on WWDC lunches, but I'm saving it for next week. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Zelda time's better. Yeah, that's probably true. I do have tons of pictures of food from the Beer Bash, coincidentally, but I have yet to find one of the box lunches. This is going to bother me. And anyway, hi, Tiff. How are you? Hi, how are you guys? Uh, I'm doing well. Oh, I see a picture of Adwala. All right, I'll, I'll keep myself under control. Anyway, uh, tell me about Zelda and how much I should regret not having picked up a Switch. All right, so far Zelda's excellent, as John said. Uh, it is... I don't know if you would like it, Casey, because I'm not quite sure you like huge epic sandbox games where you pick through things and find stuff and walk around and gather and fight here and there so quick background um i did play through the entirety of ocarina of time which is not exactly the same but i loved that game and okay so uh, i played uh, about five to ten minutes of breath of the wild on my sister-in-law's switch and then i played another five or ten minutes on uh my friend's switch and my friends and neighbors switch so i've got probably a sum total of 15 minutes of play time on this game and from what i experienced in the brief window of time i did like it um the reason i haven't bought myself a switch other than being cheap is because i fear that I would either play through Zelda and, and then decide, okay, well, that's enough, or I will you know, play through some of Zelda and then just give up on it, to, to Tiff's point. So I'm not really sure how I would feel about this, but in the brief window of time I played it, I really liked it. Have you ever played Fable? No, never even heard of it. <laughs> He's never heard of Fable. <laughs> anyway, um, it's a lot like Fable, right, John? Don't you think? Don't you feel the fable vibe going on? I feel so much Fable. I never played Fable, but I'm aware of what? the game, and I know what, I know what it's like. It's Xbox Get game. Get off on. my podcast, yeah. it's, John. It's on a Microsoft console, so John would not have any of that. Yeah. But it's Fable. But I, mean... but I, know, I know about Fable. But but yeah, like it, it, it is, uh, for Casey's taste, like Ocarina of Time is definitely much more linear and follows a formula, and it's a good formula, but uh, Breath of the Wild is not that. Breath of the Wild definitely brings in the big sandbox. And for people who know the terminology, when you say a sandbox game, it's the idea that Instead of having like, if, oh, I keep it's hard to talk about without making references to ga- to other games like Uncharted or whatever. But instead of having an expected series of steps 
Like, you're going to do this, then you're going to do that, then you're going to do that, and this is how you're going to play through the game to the ending of the game, maybe multiple endings or whatever. Instead, it provides you like a sandbox, like in a playground, where it's just this big square, and it's got sand and toys and trucks in it, and you can do, you know, and there is like a story to be had and solved, but a lot of the game is just playing in the sandbox. I'm going to make a little castle over here. I'm going to drive my truck over there, and it is what you make of it. And that type of game can be like... Uh, you know, I don't get it. What's the point? What am I even supposed to do? This is boring if you're not into sandbox type games. Or if you just try to play it linearly, like I'm confused about where to go. And this game doesn't seem to have much stuff in it. I played through the story too quickly. But if you like sandbox games and you like collecting things and you like picking up new items and finding new places to go and doing stuff, this Zelda is amazing because it has a lot of the same traditional Zelda elements of the overarching story and all the things you can do. But unlike so many past games, it's not like go here, do this dungeon, get the boomerang, which you will need to finish this dungeon. The next dungeon, you get this item and do that. Like that, it doesn't do that at all. You can go wherever the hell you want, including running to the final battle as soon as you get out of the first little tutorial area and getting your butt kicked because you can't beat it at that point. Um, to just like spending the entire game, like I wonder how many people will play Breath of the Wild and literally never finish the main story because just playing the rest of the game is more fun. Just slowly, methodically exploring the sandbox exploring the map collecting things getting new outfits uh catching new horses just that can entertain you for such an incredible period of time and so i i love both those type of things and this is a great hybrid game for me i'm, I'm really enjoying it both aspects of it, the story part and the sandbox part so you should totally play fable because the <laughs> the dynamics and everything in in this game in the new zelda is exactly like fable it's like you're not constantly searching out like in old zeldas i i skipped a couple so correct me if it changed but you kind of you find one weapon and then you slowly upgrade it throughout the course of the game like oh then you find the next weapon and there's like six weapons right like or six main swords that you're you're searching for and here it's more of like you get a sword and you use it for a while and then it breaks and then you find another sword and you use it for a while and then it breaks and so there's no like oh now i have to search for the master sword and get all these things in order to get the master sword it doesn't seem like that kind of thing it's so much it's so like fable there's little people walking around that you can trade with and you can get a pet dog if you want wolf but same thing yeah well that's in fable too like everything I know, that's what is, i'm saying i know it's so fably it's crazy fably wait you can get dogs in zelda well a wolf well but but a dog <laughs> i accidentally ran over a fox just recently oh and it was so sad it turned you into can eat him he turns into food it turned into meat but i ran over it with my horse so it was an accident yeah how far i don't want to spoil things but how far are you in, in the game <laughs> Um, I'm talking to the, um, old wise lady and running some errands for her. So, uh, yeah. have As you, you do. any major story elements that you have progressed that you think would be markers towards completion? I don't want to, again, I don't want to spoil. Um, I'm up to like the, the silly camera dynamic. All right. Um, and ha- how much of the map have you unlocked percentage wise? Um, I haven't unlocked much. It's not showing me a lot, but I've been wandering all over the place. And um, uh, how many towers, basically? Oh, I don't know. Maybe like eleven or twelve. Eleven towers? I mean, they're really tall things. That when you, when oh, you unlock them, they, they yeah, reveal those, a new portion of the map. None of those yet. I've only been playing none? for like two days. Yeah. Zero. I mean, you obviously you've done the the first one, right? You got off the Great Plateau. Yes. Yes, and then after that, you get off the Great Plateau and you go to that tower, and it reveals the first section of the map so that's one tower right there the very very tall ones that you have to climb up right oh yeah i haven't done those yet 
I didn't even try climbing them. The one that's lit, the ones that are lit up. Yeah. All right. Well, see, I already spoiled something for you. All right. You are, you are very, you are not far into this game at all. And I think you're the type of person who may get lost in just like, you know, finding items. And I've just been doing the little temples and finding chickens. Like, I don't know. I'm busy. I'm, I'm busy finding horses. I wanted to make sure I got a teal one with dots on its butt. I was very specific. Oh, the horses, the, the horses, I find a little frustrating. And speaking of the wolf pets, that's the one thing that annoys me about this. How do I they, get a wolf pet? I'm very excited about this part because I just keep running over foxes. Yeah. Step one: don't run them over. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, it was an accident. I felt really bad because the foxes are super cute. As, as long as you eat them, use every part of the fox. It's I fine. did. I did. Um, ding, 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 da, ding, da, ding, da, ding, da, ding. So, so one monetary <laughs> wow. thing that that Nintendo has been using recently that's very frustrating is they want you to buy their little amiibo plastic toys. Um. And then the, the little plastic toys, because they have a little NFC thing on them that you hold up to the controller or whatever. Oh my, yes, I know. Unlock stuff in the game, which annoys me because it's an additional thing you have to buy. But as someone who's willing to spend lots of money on games, whatever. What really annoys me is you can't buy them because nobody has them unless you want to go on eBay. It's like, Nintendo, make more of this plastic crap so I can buy it. I'm ready to give you... <laughs> An unseemly <laughs> amount of money for Amiibo plastic toys just so I can take the little NFC thing and bop it on my controller and get the in-game items that they give because they give some good items in this game. Now, I have the Amiibo from like the Special Edition Wind Waker HD version. Gave you the Wolf Link Amiibo. Um, and if you use the Wolf Link Amiibo, uh, you get the Wolf pe- uh, Companion in this Ooh. game. He just appears. Oh, yeah. I'm going to need, Marco, I'm going to need that. But yeah, so I'll, Marco, if you find an Amiibo connection, let me know too, because I've been trying to buy these. You should you just go online and you can see this Amiibo gives you this, this Amiibo gives you that. So just get the Amiibos that give you the things that you want. Adam's going to be so into that. Adam's going to be crazy. He he was really, he wants to play. He wants to play a lot. Like he wants to walk around Link and he was telling Marco how to play. Someone needs to. It was kind of incredible. Yeah, he was, he was, he, he wanted to teach me how to play the game. And so I walk over and he's like, all right. That stick, you move that. That one you move, and this one you look. Like he, he already figured out like like the the dual analog stick movement and looking thing that is you know standard in all first person games. Most adults can't figure that out for a while, and he's four, and he was explaining it to me as if I didn't know. It's pretty great. The the thing about the wolf uh, link uh, amiibo thing is that depending on how well you do did in a portion of the Wind Waker HD game. It, that influences what kind of health your wolf has when you instantiate him in Breath of the Wild, which is kind of fun and a nice connection between those two games. You get a default amount if you haven't played the previous one. But yeah, the amiibo angle is a little bit annoying. You don't need them to finish the game or anything, but I want some of the items they give, not the wolf, but I want some other things, and I, I can't find the amiibos in stores or online anywhere except for, for ridiculous prices on eBay. So that is frustrating. But So no, wait, that, wait, hold on. So you're what you just said is that the, the state of a like an NPC in the prior Zelda is carried over into this Zelda? So one of your achievements is a particular dungeon that you do, and, and when you complete a certain section of the dungeon, how many hearts you have left uh, translates to how many hearts the Wolf Link has when you instantiate him in the new game. It's it's just like a huh. little NFC tap pad thingy. It's not it's not super high tech. So like if we've never heard of these things and never done anything, do we get like like a slow, emotionally damaged wolf? Or like do we get like a good <laughs> oh, one? Everything's the same about him. He'll probably just have a little bit less health than mine, or maybe a lot less. But either way, like if he dies, you can I think he, he has a cooldown and he, you can just reinstantiate him. He's honestly not that particularly useful because like any sort of NPC fighting aid type of thing, it's you know it helps a little bit but then a lot of time you just spend worrying about them. same thing with the horses by the way horses i'm worried well, i don't want to spoil things for you but anyway um 
I was worried. Uh, I, I had some problems with my horse companions as well. So I, I, I'm mostly a loner out there. <laughs> what was your problem? You just <laughs> I don't. Gotta... Want, I want to spoil anything for you. Just play the game. You just got. Oh, also, I've been feeling Glue factory. I've been feeling super bad about wow. like <laughs> poor horses. I've been feeling super bad about breaking things in the village, even though I know it's part of the game to like find yeah, stuff. No, you got it. It's tradition. You got to break those pots. You see, you see pots. You they need to be broken. No, but I feel really bad because now it feels like so personal because they're like they're like people and they're walking around and they like kind of talk to you more. One of them might have money in it. I mean, it could happen. No, I just I feel I feel really <laughs> guilty now about like taking fruit out of shrines and I, I just I can't I'm feeling really guilty about this game. You're like, are you really saving this kingdom? I don't know, but I'm feeling like it's a mix between like fable and I'm worried about going to the bad side and like I, I just I have all these Yeah, no, that's that's I'm panicked. That's not gonna happen. But it, but it's revenge of it's revenge of the old mechanics because like in past Zeldas I was I was the the scourge of grass everywhere as every player who's played it oh Zelda as everyone plus. has ever been if the, you see grass it must be cut you know why because sometimes when you cut grass money pops out or hearts but mostly money and so then you're like grass must cut it and what does this game do it gives you gigantic fields of grass and weapons that wear down when you cut with them and you're like must <laughs> cut grass but must not cut grass and there's some pottery must break pots but 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 no don't break pots because it will wear more. what if i pick up the pottery and throw it but then the people will be angry at me and, and the game has lots of in-game text that teases you about mm-hmm. previous zelda games mechanics when you do one of the things from it's it's a lot of fun yeah, at least they kept those cute little leaf dudes i'm super happy about that oh, the koroks yeah. yeah yeah they're cool i'm liking that i see a lot of the older game creatures kind of in this world also and like the ones from um wind waker right you know they're all over the place the same kind of demon things and yeah. Yep. So. Wind Wake the, the, Wind Waker is Wind Wake. I don't know. What's it called? Wind Waker is the the, the boat one. Yeah, yeah. And you've got you got the Octo Rocks, you know, all the yep. way back to the first game. Yep, you have those. Yeah, yeah there's so oh, that's much. Good thing. Yeah. So good. The main the main thing that I'm enjoying about this game, um, and it's not just the sandboxing, it's lots of games are sandboxy, but it's that this is not I mean, because you know, you know, Grand Theft Auto or whatever is a sandbox game, right? But this is like the title is appropriate, Breath of the Wild. The 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 main sort of theme of this game, and it's embodied in both the mechanics and in, you know, the the sandbox nature of it is that you are out in the wild and so it's not it's not entirely man versus nature but there's a lot of that from the very beginning of the game just getting hot and getting cold but in general just like wanting to see what's over the next rise and and wanting to see you know the 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 sense of exploration like what's going to be over there or what could that be or whatever and as a a couple people pointed out in discussions on twitter uh so many sandboxy games like uh even things like very popular games like oblivion or the elder scrolls uh, series and stuff like that there were sandbox games with huge worlds very detailed all sorts of stuff you'd see something i wonder what's over that peak that looks like a little interesting valley over there and you'd spend your time making this long trek to this distant peak which is cool you can do it in a sandbox game if you can see it you can go there and you would just go and work your way there and there's random encounters with enemies and you go through some villages and you take a break and get some food or whatever and you finally make it to this what you think is really cool little nook or waterfall and there is nothing there like it is just some more textures and scenery and the thing that breath of the wild does so well is that even though it is a huge world it's obviously a huge world that humans have carefully constructed so that if something looks tempting or interesting when you get there they will be something there not the world's greatest thing, but some reason for you to have arrived there, some reward for getting there, and that the most interesting things are in areas that look interesting, that will lure you toward them. And it makes you feel like, 
I'm a genius for finding this thing here. It's like, no, you're not. They made it look cool and inviting. They made say, I wonder what that is off in the distance. That looks kind of interesting. Or there's like a little twinkle. Or or that looks like it would be a neat little cove or have a nice little tree or just looks like... I mean, maybe we're sensing that like there are certain sections of it that are more massaged by human hands than others. But the idea of like... Ew. It, it it just continues. <laughs> Come on, it just, it just continues to amaze me that like even just when areas are mapped out, and you look on the map and they they give areas names like little regions names, mm-hmm. and you're like that's an interesting name. Or they put a little thing on the map like a little drawing on the map like that looks cool. And you go there and like recently I had a big ordeal getting to a particular section of the map, and I'm playing with my son, and he's like, Dad, you know it was very difficult to get there, and we were using a lot of our food, and it was like. Just why are we even going here? Just turn back. We're using up all of our food, and this is a waste of time. And we've been trying to do this like a harrowing journey through, you know, elemental dangers and random enemies. And you know, my son is getting bored or whatever. But I'm like, no, I, I really want to get to that part because just because it looked interesting on the map, like I didn't actually see it with my own eyeballs. And when we got there, it was totally worth it. And he had to admit, like that was a good idea. And why did they put this out here in the corner of the map that it's super duper hard to get to? Because they knew people would just try to get there to see what that thing is, and when they get there, they are rewarded. And that is that is the number one thing that I love about this game, the, the sense of exploration and adventure and the fact that every time I go exploring or on some, uh, you know, damn fool crusade, as they would say in, in a movie that Marco and Casey will not remember. Nope. Um, nope. <sighs> I am rewarded for that at the end. So I, I envy your your largely unlocked map. All the pla- Oh, the places you will go, which there you go. You'll remember that one. All the places you will go. In Zelda still. So much to see, so much to do, so much fun. Well, that's good to know that it's worth it because I've climbed some mountains and uh, it, it was pretty good up there, you know, like I blew up some rocks and stuff, but I've definitely was able to climb a lot more mountains than I have been in other sandbox games. You know, usually it's like, oh yeah, you can climb this mountain, but you really can't. Sorry. That's Climbing just a fake. Climbing is big. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited that you can go. Climb every mountain, ford every stream. That's right. Follow every okay, everyone. Okay, Maria. Okay. River. No, your Until, name is Maria. Come on, someone's got to be able to sing this. Nope. You. Nope. Mm-mm. Until you find your dream. Thank you, Tiff. You're welcome. I don't even know what song you're thinking of. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you don't. I'm sure I do know it, but darned if I could place it based just on the lyrics. <laughs> I always have to remember that Tiff married into this family, and it's not she is not genetically doomed to not know anything about pop culture like Marco is. So <laughs> I can talk to her on the level of the rest of normal people, and she'll get my references. <laughs> That's why we are Team Strong Island, John. Strong Island. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right. So is there anything else on Zelda? Like, I'm not trying to shut you guys up. I just I I have nothing I can contribute to this conversation anymore. So it is quite a big epic game, as John was just describing. And I feel like if you aren't ready to get into that or that doesn't appeal to you, then buying a system just for this game probably wouldn't be a great idea. Oh, no, no, no. I, I think if I were to buy a Switch, I would probably get Zelda because I expect I would like it. But really, the system would just be a glorified uh, Mario Kart delivery system, which is probably preposterous since I, my understanding is the whatever version of Mario Kart that ends up on the Switch is not going to be too terribly different than what's on the Wii U. But you never played the Wii U one, so it's all new to you. Exactly. Uh, also, you know, I think some of this comes from me just getting bowled over by seeing in the like Switch trailer or whatever you want to call it that came out in like October uh, when they showed and I think it was a basketball game that they were showing, but they showed like 
a, a couple of people playing the same game on one Switch, which I thought was really clever. But even more clever was when they had like a series of switches um, or switch eye or whatever around like in a circle. And, and, and the, the implication was that they were all linked together somehow and they were all playing the same game across like six different switches, which I just thought looked amazing. And so I'm having this vision of like me and my sister-in-law getting our, you know, getting the family together and being able to like play um mario kart across two different switches against each other with each other what have you and gosh only knows if that'll even be supported but that's the dream man and it just looks awesome i i think your your hesitation on the switch makes sense if the idea of getting into this giant fantasy world game is not massively pushing you to buy it because like I, I bought it because I had a, I had a good opportunity to, and there were a couple games on the roadmap that I'm that I'm excited about, like and you Mario Kart. Also, buy everything and that as well. Um, <laughs> but you know, I I bought it because you know there were other stuff. There was other stuff like Mario Kart on the roadmap that I that I want. Um, and I bought Zelda, thinking that you know everyone says this is an amazing game, so maybe I should try it, even though I traditionally do not like games like this. I mean, and your son was Zelda for Halloween. I mean, not Zelda. Sorry. Oh, my gosh. I did it. Ah, he was Link for Halloween. You're fine. You're fine. You <laughs> made the outfit. You're allowed to one slip. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Splatoon. Splatoon is supposed to be really good. I've never, never ever played that ever, ever, ever. So I, I, would, I would probably pick that up in my hypothetical world where I have a Switch. Right. And so basically, if you are like me and if Zelda is not like the massive thing that you absolutely must do because you love games like this, then this is not the right time to buy a Switch because there's very little else out right now. I, I played that uh, like Fast RMX or something like that. It's like it's the Wipeout clone. It's cool. It's it's a decent game. Um, it's not amazing. It isn't that different from like the the AG Drive series on iOS. Like it's not. It's pretty much the same thing, but more expensive. Um, so you buy a Snipper Clips. Um, I downloaded the demo. I haven't launched it yet, but I'll, I guess I'll try that next. Try that. You you and Adam try that together. He'll show you how to play. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, like I, I think. It, See, seeing Zelda, seeing Tiff play it, and and seeing you know she and Adam enjoy it a lot, and that's great. It's very nice and cute to watch. But boy, am I glad that I didn't play it because I would be miserable. It is so not my kind of game. And even though I can, even though I can respect how much everyone else seems to say how good it is, if you're not into that kind of game, I don't, I don't think this is going to sway you. So all this is to say that I'm sure glad that Tiff is playing this thing that i stupidly bought <laughs> and uh casey if you are on the fence about whether zelda is a big driver for you to buy it i'd say you're safe to wait hey john do you have those little puppy stickers uh in oh for the for the controller like yeah! to put the little side slide thingies no i do not have the puppy face stickers oh, I, I don't i don't I use some. that controller i just use the pro controller it doesn't matter i put the sticker on it, it just sits on the table and it looks <laughs> super cute it looks like a little messed up puppy it's with its eyes all jacked up <laughs> i have an extra if you want it <laughs> i'm betting he doesn't you do yeah i'm not big on putting stickers on my electronics I'm not sure if you've heard no this is like a legit like it's it's different this is different john it's different so like one of those static vinyl stickers that doesn't actually leave any sticky stuff and can come yeah, off cleanly it will, at any it, time. it'll be fine just put mm. it on yeah right. you put stickers on your keyboard though didn't you me no, no, I only have a tiny little sticker. No, it's it's an overlay for like the Photoshop keyboard, but it's like a rubber yeah. thing you just like pick up. And it just oh, traps right. all the dirt underneath it. So when you pick it up, it's so horrifying, you just put it right back down. <laughs> Is the dishwasher safe? I don't know. I, I don't know. 
It's never been cleaned, I don't know. No, we just replace it every three years or so. Yeah, when it starts like deteriorating and ripping from hand oils. Oh my god, this is getting gross. Run away. Yeah, I wish uh Marco, you should you should watch Tiff plays. Even though you're not into playing, she's gonna get it up to some she's gonna get up to some business eventually. He fell and asleep. You should just check out what she gets up to. Yeah, he you can fall asleep, asleep while you watch it. I fell asleep within like the first five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe Tiff needs to involve you more and like when once she has a couple of projects in the works that she can explain to you what it is that she's doing you can get into it Ooh. Mm. or at least it, you could be a navigator and like decide where you're going to go together and you as a family can travel to far off places you can look for the arrow twinkle no this the, see this adam plays this role very very well as like the co-pilot to tiff as she plays i am not good at this <laughs> I, I just fall asleep and lose interest Although he's getting super useful now because when I have to go to the bathroom, I'm like, here, you drive for a while. And he like walks around and picks up some stuff. <laughs> you come back and you're in, you're in the middle of a lake. Yeah, it's fine. He got our ho- <laughs> the horse lost for a little while. Uh, what did but... you name your horse? Horse names are an important thing in this game. Okay. He named the first horse. Um, I can't remember. Barbie? He No, he just made it up some word with that starts with an M. Anyway, the horse that I'm driving right now is named Arby. Like the like the restaurant? I don't know. He thinks that only legitimate words start with A, like his name. So he picked RB. <laughs> yeah, system works. And he also thinks that any string of characters that starts with A is a real word. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, for names that you know that kind of works. Oh, Menina, Menina. I think that that's what he named the first horse. Yeah. I don't know. You might, you might have to like alternate naming rights for horses if it's going to continue like this because you won't be able to keep them straight. Yeah. Well, I only have three so far. the The first two we picked out were crap. But they're in the stable anyway, and uh, the third one's pretty good. Our Ar- Arby's reliable. He he's a good horse. It's a good horse, John. Cool. Well, thank you, Tiff, for uh, swinging by and uh, dropping some knowledge as usual. All right, dropping the fierce knowledge on the video games. I had to go back to Zelda. Goodbye.